Blake, do you want to tell Alex who he killed? <laughs> so, I was gonna say out, before before you guys say anything, can I can I make a quick assumption that I swapped the combat and non-combat encounters? <laughs> you kind of did. Yeah. That <laughs> Every- being said, I was I was so happy to see the ram come into play. <laughs> it was very creative use. Yeah, I rolled for his um, mini items in the cloak, and the second the ram popped up, I was just like, oh man, I can't wait to see how this gets used. That's nutty. Uh, but yeah, you killed the uh, good Dr. Van Shellfish. Not well, to Dr. be fair. Van Selfish. Yeah, I, I, I realized the shellfish, the shellfish, shellfish pun once the once he was a lobster and I was like that's hilarious. <laughs> um but listen, dude was pissed off by then, didn't want to miss his meal. He wasn't gonna Oh ab- absolutely. Nope. It's understandable. And he and he did steal your spice pouch. Yeah. And also I'm neutral evil, so like <laughs> the fact that he was good does not bother me. <laughs> understandable. Yeah, every every encounter had a combat resolution with like stat blocks and everything that and like roll twenty sheets that I was prepared to use, to roll things off of. Mm-hmm. But you, I think, managed to resolve the first one in more or less the intended way. The second one, tangential to the intended non-combat resolution, and then you proceeded to merc our boy, good Doctor Ben Shellfish. <laughs> well, for your reference, if, but he, if, he was uh, delicious. He was. He he was. Also, isn't eating sentience like a huge no-no in the in like? this realm <laughs> um it's it's complex because like a lot of things are sentient here you know uh that's a good point because like because like dragons eat kobolds amongst other activities yeah yeah such as transforming into humans and living nearly forever mm-hmm. dragons are weird in, in deity let me tell you that Dragons? Dragons are pretty funky. Speaking of dragons, though, you just killed a young bronze dragon. That's what the lobster suit had the stats of. Oh! Yeah, wow, all, I'm all those like, servo recharging activities were, were me- uh, yeah. rolls to recharge the dragon's breath weapon. Yeah, the like epic actions or whatever they're called. Oh no, that would be... I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking uh, of no, those are legendary later. actions. This is yeah. just roll a 1d6 on 5 or 6, it recharges the breath weapon. But that is usually how legendary actions work as well, right? They're usually on that sort of recharge. Legendary I don't think that's actions rule, it's just, just like... refresh per round, actually, and it's the GM's discretion oh. when and how to use them, budget them. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah but... I really liked this character, though. I, I had a lot of fun with him. Yes, you, you made really good use of the cloak. vibes, but, like, hmm? in a good way. Thanks. Huh? What vibes? Sekiro. Ah, of course, of course. Yeah. Giant ape. You're a giant ape, Alex. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I'm still stuck on that boss fight. Don't even talk about it. Alright, sorry, sorry. No Sekiro spoilers <laughs> in one hour one-offs. No way. Yeah. But also no, Dr. I care less about spoilers. I'm just pissed at that stupid ape. <laughs> yeah. Van Shellfish got really lucky with the initiative roll because he himself had the stats of a normal lobster. Which left I was him gonna like say, fifteen AC and thirteen HP. 
Yeah, if I'd beat him to that, uh, if I'd beat him for that suit, that might have just been it. <laughs> oh, it 100% would have been it. Um, the suit did oh, have, yeah, like... because I could have... Mm -hmm. Even if I wouldn't... Even if I wouldn't have been able to reach him, I have lunging attack, too. So I could have, uh... I could have also used my proficiency die to hit him from 10 feet away. Ooh. Really? Or superiority die. Yeah. So our bronze dragon slash lobster had 25 of 142 hit points at the end when I let you get the ram execute. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I, that's actually always a struggle I have as a DM is like, mm -hmm. is zero HP death or defeated, you know? Right. I think like, the 5e manual is pretty clear about it, but like in another, in a lot of other, sorry, settings, it's pretty... What is, what is the 5e ruling on that? I just kind of go case by case, because everything I run is a homebrew monstrosity anyway. <laughs> Makes sense. Fair. Uh, the 5e ruling is that 0 HP is death, unless it is um, some kind of like notable enemy or a player character, in which case you give it death saves so that like player characters can have a bit more freedom to determine what exactly happens. Um, otherwise, like 5e mooks default to death, unless the melee attack that puts them to zero is intended to be non-lethal, in which case yeah. they are unconscious. Because, um, yeah, and, and that's, that's a good point. I don't think I had read specifically that passage, because it's like, you know, if you're fighting like a wild animal... Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot for an animal to think a fight is no longer worth it unless it's considering, unless it's, like, protecting its children or thinks it has no other choices, you know? Yeah, of course. I, I have, like, animals and sentients run off all the time when I run 5e at school. Like, goblins will flee if, like, a third of their pack goes down, for example. And that's something that I, like, think of a lot while I'm playing, but then while I'm DMing, I always get focused on other things and end up realizing that like the pack of goblin raiders fought to the man against a high level party and that just makes no sense yeah i i definitely <laughs> had that problem starting out too um but i think i've gotten better at it there's like a site that i use for 5e that like talks about mm -hmm. how you run each monster um it's called like the monsters know what they're doing maybe some of our listeners are familiar but it's like really cool they like get into like the mindsets of like different elementals and whatever highly recommend it but that's yeah. really interesting mm -hmm. yeah because el elementals are also elementals are something that i have never been able to like you know like i you know sure a dragon i can get its 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 motivation goblin you know really any type of human but like a rock elemental mm -hmm. you're just like does it just want to go back to being a rock <laughs> you know mm-hmm Who knows? Yeah, dragons are fun though. Like, you get to lie as the GM. Yes. Like, what more could you want? You know. Uh, are you not doing that to your players at all times already? Hmm. Kind of sort of lies of omission, certainly. But I, I'd say like as a GM, I try to be a pretty honest narrator, unless I'm like in character being dishonest you know i try yeah i try and go for i i think i i think i go for a similar thing where it's like the things you saw and that i say 
are honest from the perspective of the thing seeing or saying them, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I won't necessarily, like, pick and choose your exposure to this world to try and guide your understanding of it in a specific way. Right, makes sense, makes sense. Also, I liked your character. You had all sorts of neat backstory. Mountain giant. Yeah. Indeed. He's, do you want to, do you want to hear a little bit of his, uh, his stuff? Yeah, please. So, Karg is actually not a samurai. He is a ronin, because his lord is dead, and he does not have a new one. Um, Oh, sad. Yeah, he lived in a great kingdom ruled by an orcish king who ruled over a tundrous mountain landscape, uh, where... Basically, it was a society of humans and orcs, and therefore, obviously, some half-orcs, um, that were defending their borders uh, from the invading mountain giants. Their, like, their society was very, like, combat-oriented, because they're constantly fighting these giants, and they, they're in the tundra, so most of their food was from hunting. But it was actually very internally peaceful, because the orcish king was actually, like, surprisingly kind and good to his people, um... Eventually, however, the humans made an alliance with the mountain giants and combined forces to overthrow the orcish king and banished... Uh, they they killed all of the orcs and banished all of the half-orcs from that land. And that is... Karg Turos is still wandering from that. Um, That's but so he sad. believes... Yeah, he, he has basically... He, he doesn't comprehend... Like, he... he you know, he was... He grew up in this life and as, like, a personal guard to this king and fought alongside him in many battles and doesn't really understand the concept of what it means to not live and serve in that way. So he's basically just rebranded his nation's borders at wherever he happens to be right now and still fights to uphold those, like, that rule of law wherever he is. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I landed on neutral evil because he follows his laws and those are, they're like orcish mountain wilderness laws, which are a little draconian. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know if we're supposed to get into it at this point, but that like brings up the whole alignment table like nonsense that Gary you know, left us with, because I think you can make a case there even for, like, lawful neutral, because, like, you've got the whole internal order being lawful and so on, right? Yeah, and I think, I think this is absolutely the place to get into it. There's nowhere else on the show we're going to get into this. Mm -hmm. But I think, I, I fully agree. I think that, I think that it's far more interesting to define a character and then assign an alignment rather than the other way around and that there's often not an objective correct assignment Mm -hmm. that's typically what i do although frequently i end up going oh yes this is the character and then completely forget about assigning an alignment at all (laughs) what are what are your thoughts on the table in general uh derek um I don't know. I think I think it's pretty absurd that like people get into like such huge arguments about like where characters fall onto it, especially like characters from like other like fantasy franchises for example, like what is Gandalf? Like does does it matter what Gandalf is? But like also because the table itself is so nebulous, right? 
And I think I'm just sick of seeing arguments about characters and their alignment. Because in the end, like, it's just a D&D, like, setting a precedent that's not necessarily ideal. The same way, like, Tolkien came along and completely changed what elves are in fantasy, you know? Yeah, dude, I was actually, I was doing some research. I, I wrote a, this is this is getting very off topic, but I'll say it anyway. I wrote a paper freshman year in college about different races in Middle Earth and, like, how they're kind of an analogy. They're all different analogies for humankind, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing just some research into mythical races in general, and you are, like, so incredibly right to a mind-blowing degree. Like, Tolkien basically wrote the entirety of what we understand as, like, fantastical races. Yeah, pr- pretty From, much. Like, like, and basically based it on nothing. He pretty much made it all up. Like, elves were pretty much strictly evil until Tolkien. Yeah, or they were, like, impish and, like, small, you know, and, like, not yeah. slender, graceful, and, long-lived, etc. And and they were, like, mischievous, and I guess evil is not the right term, but they were, like, harmful in the same way that, like, a dangerous storm is harmful. They were, like, a part of nature that was powerful and dangerous and therefore to be feared. Yeah, like, fey, as a word, has fallen out of usage since Tolkien. Yeah. Because, and, like, it exists yeah. in D&D now, but it's no longer super associated with elves. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that being said, I love Tolkien, so like, you know, I'm not gonna hate on him for that, but it is super interesting. Right, of course. I also did my best, I thought, I just bringing it back to this episode a little, I thought it was interesting playing, like, an orcish samurai. Mm-hmm. Because I was reading, because this, this is a little bit getting back to the alignment stuff, too, because it was like, samurai tend to be lawful, pretty much strictly. And then it was like, orcs, or half-orcs tend to be chaotic, pretty much strictly. And I was like, hmm. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I went with neutral, which was basically just, he's been trained, like, he, like, I, I don't even know how to think about it, where it's like, like, I, me personally, in real life, I, I take a lot of martial arts, and it's something I take very seriously. And so, like, the idea of samurai and, like, total dedication to a martial life in that sense mm-hmm. doesn't... Like, I don't necessarily understand it, but it... Like, it's it's one of my favorite fantasy stories, basically. Um, it's It's a great trope, yeah. Yeah, and, like, you know... Like, I, I love Wu-Tang Clan and all of the stuff they do with, like, old kung fu movie samples and, like, the the stuff there. And there's a really awesome Jizza album, which uses um, this, all of this audio footage of a samurai who has come home and his, uh, his emperor has started to fear him because he got so powerful and, like, so skilled with the sword. Mm-hmm. So he sent ninjas to come and kill him while he was home, oh, no. the samurai. But the samurai wasn't home, so they killed his wife instead. Um, Not and, ideal. And left his son alive. And the samurai comes home to find his living child son, who can't even walk or talk, and his dead wife. And he puts a ball and a sword in front of the child and says, you have to choose. Are you going to be a warrior or a child? If you are a warrior, your life is over. You have dedicated yourself to the life of the Ronin and the revenge, and you will come with me and know nothing but fighting and war. If you choose the ball, you can die here a child. And just lets the boy crawl to one of them. 
Dang, that's yeah. hardcore. Right? Uh, the In the movie, the boy chooses the sword. But... Mm. Understandable. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you chose to play a half-orc samurai archetype, actually, because one of the players that like I DM for semi-regularly plays a half-orc samurai archetype. And like, he has like really good art for it and everything. Kind of want to show you after all this is done. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, and I was like, of course the half-orc samurai has to have a cannaba. Of course. It's yeah. it's a very good aesthetic. I agree. I mean, like, I mean, pretty much just change his skin to red, and he kind of looks like an oni. Like, they, he kind of look like an oni, so it really works. Mm, absolutely. I was actually doing research on Kanabo, and there's apparently a Japanese saying, which uh, is like giving a Kanabo to an oni, which means basically to make a bad situation worse, which I thought was hilarious. That's, <laughs> that's, that's really cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it also, it also, just more Cannabo history, because I was, um, doing research on them. I thought they were called Tes, or Tesubos before, but it turns out that's, like, an alternate name. Huh. Tetsubo? I don't know the, I don't know the pronunciation. I also um, wouldn't know it, so, huh, we're fine. We're all uh, Orientalist, I guess. languages aren't exactly my strong suit. Mm-hmm. Is Asianic the, the term? Asiatic. Asiatic. Okay, I don't know if yeah, that might have just been Discord. I think that's what I said, but yeah, uh, like I said, yeah. that might have just been Discord distorting things. Uh, yeah, yeah there's a Greek saying, I an Attic Greek saying I really like. The translation is, and it's the equivalent. It's their equivalent of saying it's Greek to me, and it translates to <laughs> it's Chinese to me, <laughs> which is which I find hilarious. Perfect. There's always a bigger Greek. <laughs> of course. Um, some a very strange interaction I had in my life was um, my sister is Chinese and so I took uh, the two of us took Mandarin lessons for a chunk of time when we were younger Cute. and this was back when my British accent was a little stronger because I was younger and had been in America for less long um, mm -hmm. and as it turns out if you speak Mandarin with a little bit of a British accent your teacher will think that you're speaking with a Cantonese accent and not believe you that you don't know Cantonese um which was like weirdly traumatic for little me trying to explain to this person that only knew a little bit of English while Rough. not knowing nearly enough in Mandarin to I'm explain sorry. I'm my sorry situation. To hear it. <laughs> that sounds honestly brutal. <laughs> I I really like like I don't know a ton of Cantonese, but I do like its sound and tone in general though. Um I mostly just know animal names in it from Kung Fu though. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really funny, actually, because Cantonese is, like, spoken largely in, like, southern China, including Hong Kong, which, you know, British imperial rule. So, like... Well, yeah. 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 That's, like... It's, I think that historically it has some basis. I, I don't know a ton about it, but, like, yeah, bizarre. For mm. me at that time, you know? I was just, like, I had no idea what was happening. Because I hadn't put together the fact that it was my British accent then. I was just like, I am just saying what you're telling me to say. <laughs> so sorry. 
that happened. Uh, no, it was it was fine. So, what was the uh, original inspiration for this, Derek? Trying to slowly bring things back to the episode. The original inspiration for the episode. Um, yeah. Let's see. We we'd been doing some pretty, I guess, serious, like high stakes things up until now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like definitely enjoy those kinds of narratives. But as a DM, I don't think I have what it takes to like set that kind of tone. But something that I do like doing is like lighthearted, like I don't know, like chip tunes, like good vibes, aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest. Uh, I had a conversation with Lyrica while debating reaching out to contact you about this project. Uh-huh. Um, and a pretty decent chunk of the conclusion was that you would be a really good offset to Blake and I in that sense. <laughs> the punishment for failure is always death. Where where Blake is very much the opposite end of that spectrum from you, and I land in kind of like a bit of a middle ground where Blake is like, oh, they're gonna die, you're like, you'll be fine, and I'm like, if he dies, he dies. Mm-hmm. Like, Blake... Blake... <laughs> Blake's session was honestly so cool. Like, I've. Thank you. Oh, I mean, all respect to your own, like, Lovecraftian writing that I've read, Alex. I think you achieved that tone very well, too. But as far as the session went, I think Blake managed, like, a really chilling atmosphere last time with it. Like, you have to burn the bones that of the, like, people <laughs> we tortured and, like, throw sulfuric acid onto them. And, like, I can't even frame that without it sounding, like, campy and wild. But I know when I was playing it, and, like, when Blake was DMing it, there was a very good and, like, convincing atmosphere all around that stuff. And I would like to clarify that I feel in no means indirect competition with Blake for Lovecraftiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, I consider myself uh, his his student to a degree. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. I wouldn't go that far. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I would say that I... You know and have read more Lovecraft than me and have been inspired to explore and find my own, like, voice in that genre to some degree part of you. So I would say that. Mm -hmm. I also want to, I guess, maybe shout out to an inspiration for the whole, like, shellfish, selfish uh, (laughs) (laughs) pun. It took so much not to, like, I might have even laughed out loud when you said when you said he was a lobster. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a great reveal. But uh, yeah, I, I was watching the I was looking at the final room text and as you just like bust through the door screaming uh spices. spices. It was all I could do not to just die of laughter. <laughs> yeah. I also I Oh sorry, yeah, no, the inspiration. Oh yeah, no, that was like I guess a shout out to the like I guess a pretty big pun from a game I played when I was like, I think, 12 or 13, where there was like a whole like confusion with like a researcher, I guess, menacing a village because they thought he was the selfish doctor, but he was just the shellfish doctor. Uh, Book of Living Magic by Jonas Karatsis, I think, came out in 2011, yeah. That's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you saying? Um, 
Oh yeah, I just I just enjoyed playing the transition from like, okay, gotta go get my spice rack back to just like enough of this <laughs> over the course of the <laughs> yeah and just ending with him sprinting down the hallway carrying the corpse of the fungal chief flaming corpse while waving a flaming cannibal over his head mm-hmm. yeah as as dinner time draws closer like the stakes grow higher yeah i mean and that's to some degree like where i tried to play the evil of it where he's not malicious he just considers his ideals and laws to be more important than everybody else's. Right, yeah, I, I think you did that pretty well, because, like, one issue that I notice with, like, some groups is the need to, like, take every non-combat option or, like, peaceable resolution when offered, you know? Even when it's, like, not necessarily suitable to, I guess, the context or the character. And it I was feel refreshing like that of... you could, like, toss everything out the window and be like, alright, I'm setting my club on fire. <laughs> it was very, very entertaining to, perhaps aptly, watch a character questing for dinner go absolutely ham-fucking-sandwich on everything. Mm -hmm. oh. I was also, yeah, uh -huh. go on. I, I had a lot of fun being like, alright, fire newts, elegant courier, fungal things, fighting spirit. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. Derek, he said fungal things, and I immediately went, oh god, the fungus men from Darkest Dungeon, they're back. <laughs> hmm. It's funny, because I've actually, like, done stat blocks for the mushrooms from Dark Souls. Those are great fun. <laughs> Don't fuck with the mushrooms. <laughs> Honestly. One of those punches will deal 40-10 bludgeoning to a boy. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you wanna... Yeah, so part of... I don't think it wouldn't have actually mattered, but I would have been in a lot more trouble if I hadn't taken the tough feet. Oh, that's um, like plus one HP per level, essentially, right? Plus two. Plus yeah. two, my god. Yeah, that's so. Massive. I was at I was at one twenty four instead of uh, instead of one o four. Yeah, I I did sandbag the young bronze dragon a bit because the CR wasn't perfect for a tenth level solo character. Uh, it has 18 AC, but you were, like, landing so many 17s that I had to, like, give those hits over, you know? Or we'd have been in big I trouble. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And if we're, if we're being canonical, a thing operating a suit would be a little more flat-footed than, like, a living being of that size. So you could, you could argue that it just shaves off a single point there, you know? Of course. And, like, we're, especially at the steampunk level, but even today, like, technology can't quite make up for organic efficiency yeah of, like, dude, I, do mm -hmm. you ever think about that where it's just like like we have the most like the 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 new japanese supercomputer i forget its name is at like something petaflops of of processing power mm -hmm. which is still under a thousandth of the minimum number of bits required to imitate the amount of processing power in the human brain, <coughs> mm -hmm. let alone its speed or complexity or anything. That's, like, literally just the number of bits, and that computer is, like, the size of a room. Mm -hmm. Damn. Like, it just blows, like... You think, like, we gotta be getting close, and then you look at the numbers and no, we're not, because that's the lower limit. The upper limit is 10 million times more than that computer. Wow. 
Yeah. Right. It's what ridiculous. Gets, what, what gets to me is um, the, like, robotics and exoskeleton tech, because, like, it's getting there, but dear god, it's inefficient compared to, like, just normal human walking. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really interesting thing as well, where capitalism, you know, we're going to get a little little into that side of things, I guess. But capitalism forces us to only do things that are strictly more efficient than our other options. Which doesn't always allow for the fact that product and design don't always move in straight lines and that sometimes we need to move pretty far towards inefficiency before we get large progress. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense, and I suppose the similar way that it's easier to engineer a bomb than a power plant. Exactly, yeah, and it's like, it's like you know, the a, a big place where we've tried to address it is actually the pharmaceutical industry, where the reason you get five years of basically monopoly over whatever drug you design is to make it worth the fact that you need to do a minimum of ten years of research on every drug before you can release it to market. That's crazy. Yeah. So, like, if it wasn't literally monetarily worth it to waste five to ten years of your company's existence towards developing this drug, we would never get new drugs. And there's some, like, really unfortunately compelling arguments as to why some of the current pieces of our system are in the place they are. I don't think they're unchangeable, but I do think a lot of it is more complicated and and, and harder to address than some people consider it to be. Not that, like I said, not that it isn't still the right thing to do, but just, like, you know. I think what you're getting into there is, like, called necrocapitalism, which is, like, basically... I don't know, kind of an idea that, like, capitalism is, like, so deeply entrenched that it's kind of, like, a death driver of, like, anything that's, like, not related to it and also, like, manages to exploit that. Um, it, it's definitely, like, bad as far as, like, suboptimal decisions go, right? And, like, like you said, discourages lateral growth, but, like, pharmaceuticals is definitely an area where we need constant development, but I don't know, do we really need, like, faster cars? You know, is like another question that should come up. Like, planned obsolescence is so bad in like so many industries. And, mm -hmm. and the kind, the thing that I'd say in response to that is, I don't know if we like. So capitalism, I've always said. You know, well, welcome to our new podcast. This is uh, uh, politics with the like tabletop three idiots. times. <laughs> no, this is the Tabletop Times, where we discuss uh, politics only as directly relevant to other conversations about tabletop games. Um, Pretty much. Um, but, like, there's an argument that, that capitalism, that, like, the way our current system works is, like, the, the uber-rich get everything first... But that's, there. there is an argument that the uber-rich get everything first, but that's okay, because if the uber-rich didn't exist, they wouldn't be able to push funds around efficiently enough to create those things in the first place. That basically, like, you need a Bill Gates in order to spend $8 billion on creating a new company that otherwise literally no one else would have the liquid assets to be able to create. And I, I've, I don't know. 
I've never I've never had a strong counter argument to that, but at the same time, it just feels slimy to me. I don't because it's because it's not a necessity, right? Like, who says we have to have like constant forwards, quote unquote, progress? Like, do we need a new company to exist? Like, because uh, to ha allowing that super rich class to exist now also means allowing like the existence of like the impoverished and marginalized, right? And like. Yes they carry most of the burdens that like emerge from like this quote-unquote progress that develops and everyone's like it's fine because the end goal of capitalism is to like create a utopia right where like everyone has everything and you're like post-scarcity and like things are good for everybody yes, but if you're like constantly like deferring idea. like you're basically like deferring the responsibility to like make things better mm. like what happens to a dream deferred yeah, forever, exactly. Like, yeah. And there's always, like, this, like, hypothetical, like, tomorrow's child that, like, lets us make sacrifices that's on behalf a, that's of people a really who good exist point as well. today, you know? Because that's also, that's also something that comes up in kind of the opposite way, where you partially get, like, the dream deferred, and it's like, we'll do it for the tomorrow's people, but then you also have the the occasional issue of we need to do it for tomorrow's people when it comes to things like climate change and social rights where mm -hmm. you're asking people to to give up i mean like i don't personally think that the argument that white people are reasonable that it's reasonable for white people to be scared of social justice because they're going to lose everything they have i think that's ridiculous the mm -hmm. people that are actually going to be losing things are the you know the bill gates is not the not the arizona trash sorry um, <laughs> no no it, it, it's fine i'm from that area we're trash um but it's like that's part of the big dupe is the idea that like you're actually better off than them um but i've i've kind of talked myself in a circle and forgot my original point um interesting oh yeah but then then there's the idea of like we need to change things now and disrupt the current system to create a better one. But it's also really hard to legitimately ask people who are only ever going to get to live one life to give up a part of the comfort of that life for people they may never know. Mm -hmm. And I agree that it is the right thing to ask. And, it, I, and I also believe to some degree that it's the right thing to do it. But when looking at it from kind of that perspective, everybody, you know, yeah, we, we all only get one, and what we do with that is really important to each of us, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, well, yeah, on an individual basis, it's, like, definitely, like, a difficult thing to, like, ask to consider to, like, accede to. But on the terms of, like, groups, I think, like, looking at it from that perspective makes it easier to, like, make these claims, you know? Because, like, for example, I think we can agree that, like, the global north reaps a lot of the benefits of like all this modernization right and like everywhere else like pays the price for it because like those are the precarious like i don't know um island like nations where like water land sorry is being lost every day to the ocean or whatever yeah or, like you have, high like, altitude communities higher where, costs yeah. of living because of you know your floods and you have to deal with harsher weather and all yeah. of that and, like, definitely industry's been going on for a while now and created, like, a lot of burdens. And I, I, I personally like the argument that 
even if you're not the one that made the decision, you know, to like create this like difference of like benefits and drawbacks and distribute it in that way. I think so long as you're a beneficiary of it, you still have some kind of responsibility to like redistribute wealth or like medicine or like just like quote unquote comfort in a I, way that makes up for that. I a hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. The 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 thing I'm trying to address is just like how do you phrase that in a way such that those people will actually feel motivated to do so instead of just looking at it as like the way I describe, you know, I get one life, I'm lucky enough to have been handed a nice one, I'm not gonna give that up. Mm. Yeah. I, I forget like where I read it, but it came up recently somewhere that like you can't teach empathy you know like people yeah. who don't have it will like never understand that perspective and i i think that's pretty true like i think how do you I like would say that it mm-hmm. can't be taught but can be learned if that makes sense yeah but like people need to like go through stuff to like develop that yes. kind of empathy yeah and it needs to happen to them exactly Yes, I mean, I guess if well. you if you want to go full supervillain with it, you could just try and engineer situations for everyone traumatic enough t- for them to develop empathy. But that that's a whole another kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Oh, what I was gonna say forever ago is that, spe- like, speaking of the way capitalism like produces efficiencies and inefficiencies, like we were talking about, where you were like. I forget what you were saying it was. It's like, oh yeah, do we need faster cars? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we are only just entering the stage where that is a relevant question. Where for a very long time, I think the vast majority of the technological advancements we were making were actually fairly necessary to even just create a safe enough society that we can ask the question of if we need it to be safer or more productive or better in any of those senses because to some degree the faster car isn't just more convenient it's also quicker ambulance response times and it's the ability for food and medicine to like reach across the country and for us to communicate and send things to each other and it's part of what bought like transportation in general is part of what binds a global society together and allows it to even exist in the first place and that we haven't reached, until very recently, we haven't had any of those things be strong enough, whether it's communication, transportation, medicine, and, like, anything like that, to actually be, like, okay, are we getting diminishing returns now? Like, is a car that can go 0 to 65 in one second that much better than a car that can go 0 to 60 in one second, you know? And do we now want to focus on getting everybody a car that goes 0 to 60 instead of making sure that there exist cars that go 0 to 70? Um, because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that people were dying of polio. Um. Bro, the the whole, like, history around the development of the polio vaccine is so sad. Like, they they did, like, this one dude so dirty, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. I, I think it's interesting that you talk about cars when, like, trains have been a thing for so long. Like, I agree that you want, like, fast ambulances, for example, but, like, I think 
like tied into capitalism is like this sense of like individualism as well like a huge proportion of americans rate having a car as like essential to the american dream for example you know but like and i should clarify I was actually agreeing with you. I'm just saying I think we're only just entering the area where that is correct. Hmm. Because, like, if, you know, like, basically, I'm kind of looking at electric cars as perhaps the final necessary development in them, you know? Mm-hmm. But there are definitely still aspects of our technology that can and need to be improved. I don't think it's speed. I don't think it's flashiness. I don't think it's a lot of the things our society currently focuses on. Mm-hmm. So I agree in a lot of ways. And the thing I always say is, like, nobody has ever in their entire life actually enjoyed a Happy Meal toy. <laughs> Yet we um, produce so many of them so efficiently because it makes somebody money, you know? And currently our society asks whether or not someone something can make somebody money, and that is what determines whether or not it is a worthwhile endeavor. And we need to start looking at other metrics to measure to see whether or not we actually want things. Mm-hmm. I think I largely agree with you about like how we're just reaching the point. But at the same time, I feel like we have, like I don't know, certain areas where we've like reached that in the past. Like, Do you really need more to happen on a phone beyond like finding your location and like being able to like make calls like i i I actually specifically recently made a proposal to a class about how to alter phone development to allow for the fact that we've basically hit a wall with it yeah like phones don't need to be getting longer you know and like yeah having like i don't know 160 gigabytes of storage what I said was that we should just make all phones modular like computers so that you can continue to develop new technology for them, but you don't need to fully upgrade your phone if you want to upgrade the processor. So, like, if you do want a, a faster phone, fine, but it's just your phone, but faster. Also smart, yeah. Yeah. Because basically, like you were saying, plan, planned obsolescence is the bane of our society being actually efficient. There's a company I want to call out, but I feel like if we did, we'd get... Uh, but I feel like if I did, we'd get copyright strike. Hey, can I get a... Who here hates Apple? Me. Yep. <laughs> uh, Apple's, Sue Apple's me, guilty, Steve Jobs. for sure. Sue me from heaven. <laughs> Speaking of, like, things we can and can't mention, can't mention, oh my god, uh, am, am I allowed I to swear? I think someone swore earlier, and in my head, I was like, oh, I guess swearing okay. It was um, definitely me. It was almost definitely me. Yeah, I said shit, I think, as well. I don't know, is basically where I'm at. Okay. Um, I think for now, we can swear in recordings, because we're recording it, and if it is an issue we bleep it um but like that's just like work for the editor you know like and if an editor like misses it and like we get sued for one million dollars by the people who own the swear word or whatever like what happens i don't think that's quite how that works (laughs) i I, I know fuck is still public domain Um, yeah i think we should try and not swear if for no other reason than a lot of sites might put like an adult content label on us for that and that's something we want to avoid 
Yeah. Um, and like bands I think, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to anything in terms yeah. of public appearance. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about like talking about my mic, I don't know, a while ago, just because it came up, what brand mic do you use? And I, I was like, is this product placement question mark? Yeah. I mean, I think we're I think we're allowed to say things like that as long as we make it clear whether or not we are actually sponsored by those organizations. Oh, I'm not sponsored by my mic's company. No. Yeah. I am not sponsored by Yeti or Alienware, although those are the products I am using here. And Sure, Sure headphones. Not sponsored, but great headphones. I will actually shout out Sure headphones, S H U R E. If you're if you're an audiophile at all or like looking to figure out if you're an audiophile, that is your entrance into the quality headphones world. Check it out. They're all like not name brand because they're studio. They're like studio not branded basically. Mm. So they're just like flat black but work super well for their price. You want to talk about your pop filter rig, but too? It's home built so I can. <laughs> what? I want to shout out my rig because it's awesome, but um, basically each component is a different brand. Fair. Oof. At that point, you'd just you be talking that? about building a PC. Oh, I said, do you want to shout out your pop filter brands too? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, one goes uh, out to no Brandy brand Melville. Pop filters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually, that is, that is something semi-related. Uh, keep your eyes peeled listeners for a potential tangential podcast to this one by me and our editor one of our editors slash stage manager lyrica yanaway because we might be doing a little like 10 minute how to podcast thing once a month where we just talk about the process of creating a podcast and how to do one with no training or equipment like we are cute yeah uh, that being said, we've been going for quite a while here. I think we should yeah. probably the, the call it before too long. The post show is almost as long as the actual show at this point. Yeah, we, we should I think cut, we should be right? aiming for half an hour for these in the future. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, yeah. Um, this one stays long, though. Screw it. You all get yeah. to listen to our lovely ramblings, and we'll just try and do a better job of mm. Now I'm horrified that like Dana future. is going to judge the like brick out of like my poor grasp of politics or whatever. <laughs> Dude, the world's gonna judge the frick out of it. Oh well. Politics are not my strong suit. That's why I. Blake was didn't say very intelligently silent. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you all for tuning in. As always, this has been the one hour one offs post show. Um, check these out on Patreon in the future. Yes. Thanks, kids. Yep. See you soon. <laughs>